Thank you, worship team. Uh, appreciate your leading us in worship today and enabling us to connect with our God. I'm very grateful to Pastor Mark to have the opportunity to be here at uh, Door Creek today. Um, I sort of feel like I've been called up for the big leagues for the weekend, and uh, it's an honor to be here. I go back quite a few years with Door Creek and, and Buckeye Evangelical Free Church. Uh, my first Good Friday service in the Madison area was um, Pastor Gill Beacon called me up and asked me to do the benediction at the Good Friday service, and uh, I agreed to do that. I hadn't even started to work in Stoughton yet, and I didn't even know what a benediction was because in our circles, um, we just prayed at the end of the service. We didn't have benedictions, and so that was my first time. And first time I visited Buckeye, I met a young banker in the lobby, and his name was Bill Arvold. He happened to be the treasurer of the church back then, and that very first year of ministry, I took Bill to breakfast because I wanted to pick his brain about structuring a budget for a church. I've been in touch with Bill all through the years, just talked to him on Friday. On my very first Sunday at Buckeye, I met uh, the youth pastor, and his name was Kevin Earhart. Some of you remember some of these names, and some of you who, and uh, I was on Kevin's ordination council back in the day. In 1987, I met uh, the new pastor of Congregational Life, and his name was Cal Steiner. And my wife, uh, Sue, and I have been friends of Cal and Ruth all through the years. Uh, Cal did the premarital counseling for our oldest daughter, Tina. And um, Cal and I served on the disciple-making commission many years ago. And we used to drive to Stevens Point uh, several times a year. We also had another passenger from time to time, and his name was Bob Goodsell. Some of you know that name. And uh, Bob was a navigator back then, and he was on the disciple-making commission uh, with us. Um, I also got to know a youth guy here named Tom Savage, served on Tom Savage's ordination council, and um, saw Tom last summer at the national conference, and he's now a senior pastor in Missouri. Um, Got to know uh, Alex Schmidt a little bit, and by the way, my son went to his church in Las Vegas last Sunday morning and had lunch with uh, Alex and Courtney. Uh, Got to know Al Albee very well through the years, served on several committees and teams with Al. And um, as Brian mentioned already, for about 10 years, I got together uh, for breakfast with, uh, with Brad and Chris and uh, kind of shared war stories and helped each other and prayed for each other through our ministries. And I have to say, you know, uh, when, when Pastor Brad died, it just rocked my world uh, to have a sense of, you know, mortality and that a guy in uh, young and strong, and yet God can take him home. And uh, that, uh, that kind of rocked my world and just made me appreciate people and the people in my world that I loved and uh, it, was a, it was a significant loss. But let me say also, uh, since September, I have gotten to know a guy by the name of Mark. And he has become a good friend. And uh, we write back and forth doing breakfast with Chris. And uh, he's been a real encouragement to me in the, in the past uh, few months. And all through the years, I have appreciated Buckeye and Door Creek Church and the commitment they have to the scriptures and to advancing the kingdom in the Madison area. So I'm glad to be here. 
The passage I want to talk about this morning is in John 15. I want to talk about the tests for spiritual growth. And last night I said I was going to talk about three tests. But after being here last night, I've decided to talk about only two tests. And I'm going to talk about John 15, 1 through 8. Encourage you to uh, grab a Bible in the chair racks um, there there this morning. And um, let me just remind you of some of the background to John 15. Some of you know that John, the gospel writer, spends more time describing the events of the last 24 hours of Jesus' life than all the other gospel writers. Think about this. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 are all about the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. I know you can count, but... That's a lot of time that John spends on those last 24 hours. The mood on that Thursday night was serious. The weight of Jesus' death uh, was weighing heavily on his heart. John notes that he knew the time had come. He knew what was coming. John marks out, if you know the Gospel of John, that his time had not yet come, his time had not yet come, but now he knows. Now, the disciples are kind of in 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 another world because they come into the upper room on that night And they had been talking about, according to the Gospel of Mark, which one of them was the greatest. And Jesus surprises them all, and he gets down like a household servant, and he washes their feet. You remember that? And he he urges them, you should be uh, humble servants as well. I want you to follow my example. He warned them that he would be betrayed that night by someone on the inner circle, one of them. One of the twelve. And uh, he told Peter and John that it was going to be Judas called Iscariot. He stated that night that Peter, the one that he had called the rock, the one that Jesus said, Peter, you're the rock. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster announces that it's sunup the next day. And that night Jesus ate his uh, last meal with the disciples. He says, "I I want you to remember my death. And uh, he told them not to lose heart, not to let their hearts be troubled, no matter how hard it would get in the days to come. And uh, he said that if they really loved him, they really cared about his ministry, they would do what he had commanded. They would do what he said. So we come to John chapter 15, and we're going to look at two tests for spiritual growth. This is about your spiritual growth. John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So as we talk about uh, tests for spiritual growth, the first is is the test of spiritual fruit bearing, verses 1 through 6. The test of spiritual uh, fruit bearing. 
And, and the, the context here is, or just remember that they had been in the upper room, John 13 and 14, that had their last meal together. And Jesus says in verse 31, let's leave, let's go. And so my assumption is they're on the move now. They're leaving, they're walking. Maybe they're passing through the temple area. There's an imprint of what's to come here. Uh, there's an imprint of the vine and Israel is... is uh, the vine is a symbol of Israel in the Old Testament. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But Jesus is on the move with his disciples. And they're headed for the Garden of Gethsemane. We know they're going to end up there at some point. And this is an, the imagery is of fruit bearing. It was quite common in the Old Testament. The idea of the vineyard was used um, to describe Israel's relationship with God. For example, in Psalm 80, uh, excuse me, four, uh, 80 verse 8. Israel was the vine that God had carried out of Egypt and planted in the land of Canaan, the promised land. Israel was this choice vine that God cared about and wanted to grow and wanted to bear fruit. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, um, the writer gives, uh, Isaiah talks about how God so wanted this vine to grow and to bear fruit, but didn't bear fruit. And God says, I'm going to remove the protection of this vine. And he clearly identifies the vine as the house of Israel and the men of Judah. This is the vine that God cared for and he wanted to bear fruit. But they did not bear fruit. And he was about to remove them. This idea of the vine is such a big deal. It's mentioned in Jeremiah three times in Ezekiel and two times in Hosea that this nation Israel was to bear fruit for God and God was the caretaker. So when Jesus comes with this imagery and he says in verse 1, I am the true vine, there's a lot of things going on. It's a very radical statement from all of the Old Testament history. I don't know what the disciples thought. They usually didn't get things very quickly. But Jesus is announcing something extremely radical. What does it mean? What are the implications? And he's saying, Israel is no longer the vine. And the way you're connected to God is no longer through being connected with Israel. And it's not about being Jews, uh, Jewish. It's going to be about being connected to Jesus Christ. Because he says, I am the true vine. Now, in this concept of uh, the grapevine, it's a living organism that makes it possible to produce grapes or fruit or life in the plant. And the implication for us is that if Jesus is the vine, then our life and our health and our vitality is going to come from that relationship that we have with the vine, that relationship we have with Jesus. So this is going to be about a test for spiritual growth. Jesus says also that my father is the gardener. It is God the Father who is the caretaker. He's the farmer. He's the vine dresser. He's the one who oversees the cultivation of spiritual growth. And he's overseeing the cultivation of your spiritual growth right now. And he cares about your spiritual growth. Just like he did in the Old Testament when he cared about Israel. And he wanted Israel to grow spiritually and to have an impact on their world. And verse 2, he talks about the branches. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. And I know that this passage, there, there are a lot of different views. There are at least three major views held by commentators. Some of you know that. 
good, godly people who have different viewpoints. So I'm going to just describe the perspective that I understand about this passage. I believe the branches refer to all professing Christians, all of those who profess to be attached to Jesus, to profess to be followers of Christ. And, you know, I've just opened the door there. It doesn't mean they're the real deal because there are two groups here. There's a group of non-fruit-bearing branches and there's a group of fruit-bearing branches. And um, one of the ways we can apply this, just think about all across the Madison area, how many people are in church today? Would they profess, would all of those profess to be followers of Christ? Well, pretty much. Would they profess to be Christians? Pretty much. I'm not God, but God will decide whether they all bear fruit and are genuine. So we have uh, non-fruit-bearing branches. The other branches that have no fruit, they will be removed by the Father who is in charge. And we're going to see that more in verse 6 in just a few minutes. They have no life. They have no real spiritual connection. And then there's fruit-bearing branches. They are true followers, genuine believers, and they are the ones who will bear fruit. We're going to talk about what fruit is in just a minute. But here's what I've learned according to viticulturalists. That's not in my vocabulary. I just learned that for the sermon. (laughs) Viticulturalists are those who care for the vines. In the normal process, growing vines produce what are called sucker shoots. And um, they're just little leaves that grow off the vine. And uh, they do not produce fruit. They only leaves. The viticulturist or the vine dresser must trim off the sucker shoots that drain off excess and unproductive energy for life. And so, um, if you I don't know too much about grapevines. My dad had some when I was a kid, and they just always were overgrown, and they, they never produced grapes. So, so I think it's because he didn't trim them. But the sucker shoots just are leaves and more leaves, and it takes so much energy of the plant that it stops producing or it won't produce as much fruit. But if they're trimmed back, they grow every year and produce more fruit and it just multiplies the clusters of fruit last fall i just trimmed all the landscaping in my yard the bushes and the trees and uh you know this time of year just now they're starting to bud and there's a lot going to be a lot of blossoms because they were all trimmed back last year same kind of concept of fruit bearing now here's the implication for us if you're a branch if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, God is going to prune you and he's going to trim you back and he's going to take those areas of your life that are sucker shoots that are taking energy away from advancing his kingdom or uh, this isn't bad by the way this is good and the other thing I want to say is you know, it doesn't make any difference if you're the most spiritually mature person in this room he's going to prune your life And it doesn't make any difference if you're the least mature person in this room. If you're one of the branches, you can expect God to prune your life. That's just what he does because he wants us to grow and he wants us to bear fruit. Now, this isn't like uh, God's going to do this because you're bad. This is just part of life. And you could say, well, I don't want that. Well, you can look at a person who's not a follower of Christ and they're going to go through hard times and difficult times doesn't make any difference you want to go through some of those walking with God you want to go through them by yourself let me give some examples 
Um, sometimes God can use a, a health crisis, not because somebody's a bad person, but God can use a health crisis to get our attention, and it just causes us to lean more into him and to rely on him because we can't fix everything in our own power or strength, and sometimes the doctors can't fix everything. Sometimes money can't fix everything, and we're just, uh, we have to rely on God, a health crisis. My, yesterday afternoon, my wife spent about an hour on the phone uh, talking to a friend of ours that we led to Christ back in the 1970s, and she was in her 20s. She just had her 60th birthday. She's been wandering all these years. She, and she's gone through some difficult times. Just, she knew. She knew where she should be. But now she's, she wants to be close with the Lord, and she knows that death is coming. She's in a major health crisis. She's on oxygen 24 hours a day. She's getting baptized today because she wants to lean into God and do some things she should have done years ago. Um, sometimes God can take a relationship in our lives. Um, sometimes it's in dating and maybe you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's keeping you from being close to Christ. And God just may want to take that away because you're not growing as he would like you to grow. Um, maybe God will change your job situation. Some of you guys or some of you ladies have, have faced that where it wasn't because something you did that was wrong, but job situation just changed. The company situation changed. And, and uh, boy, you, you were counting on this and it's not there. And you have to lean into God and you have to count on him and you have to rely on him to provide. Um, sometimes it can be a death in the family. My, my uh, wife's mother just passed away last week. You know, we knew it was coming. She was 84 years old. Yet, you know, that's it's still a loss, isn't it? If you've lost a parent, it's her last parent. My parents are gone. It's sort of, we're losing some connections with parts of the country. And uh, we just lean into God a little bit more. It wasn't because there's anything bad and God wasn't disciplining. You know, death is kind of normal, isn't it? Death is normal for everyone. That's what the Bible says. And even I think God can prune a church. You know, losing a pastor, that wasn't, I mean, it was very hard. And I don't think anybody did anything wrong. And yet, boy, it causes people, God was, wants to bear fruit. And um, I don't understand why he does it or how he does it all the time, but he can do it. He can do it. So, uh, that's verse 2. Well, I got a lot to cover here. Let's look at verse 3. The issue of being clean branches. And this is a kind of a, out of the, uh, seems like it's out of place here, verse 3. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to. But this is an important addition by John, the gospel writer. Um, he's talking about the disciples. Now, which disciples is he talking about? Now, let's be clear on this. How many disciples were there? Of the big, the 12, okay. Where are they? Well, there are 11 with Jesus, and one is missing. He's already left, and his name is Judas. And I think it'd be helpful if we just go back and look at John 13. And uh, we have, there we go, John 13, 10, and 11. Give us a little insight on what he's talking about. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath, you remember that he's talking to Peter here, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, Peter, though not every one of you. He's talking to the disciples for he knew who was going to betray him 
And that was why he said not everyone was clean spiritually, forgiven and cleansed. And it was Judas. The 11 are okay with God. They're genuine followers of Christ. One of them was not. And uh, John acknowledges that and Jesus acknowledges that right here. Verses 4 and 5, the essentials of fruit bearing. So, let's, you know, I've talked about fruit bearing quite a bit. What is fruit bearing? What is fruit bearing? And here's an answer I suggest. Just like an apple seed has a genetic code to produce apples, the gospel is a spiritual seed to produce Christ-like followers. So when you became a follower of Christ, when you uh, embraced the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, paid the penalty for you, and you placed your faith in Jesus... God gave you the gift of eternal salvation and he implanted the seed in you, the genetic code in you to be Christ-like. So that's really cool because you, you don't have to figure that all out. What you need to do is to walk with Jesus and he's going to show you how it works and he's going to grow you to become like Jesus Christ. And he implanted that already. Galatians five twenty two and 23 Uh, is a uh, a passage that begins to describe what it means to be like Jesus. Uh, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And these are character qualities, and a lot of you know this. These are qualities that are like Jesus. And um, as you stay close to Jesus, as you remain in Jesus, as you trust Him, as you rely on Him, as you depend depend on Him, Um, these character qualities begin to show up uh, in your behavior. And that's uh, evidence of your growth. James uh, 3.17 describes another aspect of fruit bearing. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wisdom from above is good fruit. I, uh, I was reminded by, by John Gerhardt when he shared about, you know, good works is a, is a kind of fruit bearing. Uh, when it's done in the power of Jesus Christ to honor him. So going to New Orleans and uh, serving, and, and John is building a church there, and he's reaching a community, and when you help out, that's fruit bearing. Matthew 13, verse 23 is another uh, passage that talks, that Jesus talks about fruit bearing. He says this, but the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. This is from the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. And uh, Jesus is talking about the gospel being sowed or spread. And when somebody embraces it, he says that he can produce a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. What he's talking about is evangelism. He's saying there are some people that when they receive the word, the gospel, the way God bears fruit in their life is they take it to their world and they might reach 30 people for Christ or 60 people for for Christ or 100 people for Christ. And some of you have the gift of evangelism. I don't think Jesus was putting a a limitation on the number, but that's about fruit bearing. That's what we we as churches need to be about is fruit bearing. And it includes reaching people and reaching our city for Jesus Christ. The key to fruit bearing is to remain in a close, obedient walk with Christ. Verse 4, he says, remain in me and I will remain 
in you. That's where health comes from, spiritual health, spiritual vitality, spiritual growth, spiritual strength, spiritual energy come from the vine. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church. And um, as, you know, he's up here, we're down here, we're the church, we're the body of Christ. And as we align our lives with his, then we have that health and that vitality. It's coming into, it's coming into submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Also in verses 4 and 5, an intimate, obedient walk with Christ multiplies fruit bearing. He says, verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. There's a progression in this passage of bearing fruit and much fruit and more fruit. And it's about our connection with Jesus. Now think about the impact this can have on an entire church. Some of you are walking closely with Jesus this morning and you're growing. Imagine if that described the, every person in this room, the impact that would have on fruit bearing in this community. You have a good reputation. But what could you be if every person engaged? We're not talking about being perfect. We're just talking about relying on Jesus and uh, remaining in a close walk with Jesus and bearing much fruit. And, uh, you know, I've been evaluating my life um, a lot this past year. I'm 58 years old. You know what? I want to bear more fruit in the future than I've ever in my entire life. I want to be as productive for the kingdom as possible in the days ahead. Whatever that means, whatever God wants to do to, uh, to bring that about. I hope that's true for you. Also in verse 5, some branches stop bearing fruit because of a disconnect in their spiritual lives. Here's what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a, if a man remains in me or a woman, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing sometimes people just come to a standstill in their spiritual life sometimes people just plain stop growing yes they're genuine followers of christ yes their sins are forgiven yes they're going to heaven but they're not growing jesus said apart from me you can do nothing no growth no fruit bearing could be um, sometimes we just get self-centered sometimes we just get lazy sometimes it can be a moral sin Uh, we we get caught up into lust could be an addiction that drains off energy from our life distracts us could be relationships could be bitterness towards somebody um and uh, I think one of the newest things we are faced as a church, that if we could see what heaven thinks, it would be busyness. We don't think of busyness being wrong. You know, we're, it's good to be busy, it's good to be productive, it's good to be active. And yet busyness sometimes takes us away from the most important things. Busy, busy with work and our career, busy with school and, and trying to get through school, and uh, busy with church and serving at church. And yet, if we're, if we're not rightly connected, remaining in Jesus, walking closely with him, we can miss some of the most important things. 
And we can be busy and tired and not bear fruit. There's a danger of misunderstanding Jesus in verse 6. He says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And I think Judas is the example. Keep in mind that Judas was on the inner circle. And even Jesus picked Judas. And I don't understand that one, but I think he just wanted us to know that in the church, we can just expect that some, we, we, we need to care about everybody around us just to make sure that they're connected with God spiritually. Because it, just being in the church doesn't make you a genuine believer or a genuine follower of Christ. And the end result for Judas would be that uh, one day he will face eternal fire and judgment. He's one of the branches that gets burned in the end. Jesus described this to his audience in Matthew 3, verse 10. And um, he was talking to a lot of Jewish religious leaders back in Matthew 3, verse 10. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he's telling the first century audience that there is a real judgment. If there's, the issue is fruit. The issue is, is there a life? Is God's life being uh, magnified and produced in the world? And even if you're religious, and he's saying this to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, he said, you're going to be cut down like with an axe. And there's going to be judgment. So, um, first test for spiritual growth is a test of fruit bearing. And God desires that we bear much fruit. And we can expect God to prune our lives. And our lives and our strength come from a relationship with Jesus. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So let's talk about the second test, the test of answered prayer, verses 7 and 8. The test of answered prayer. And uh, just let me read that. Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think this passage has helped me understand prayer uh, more than many. And I hope to combine a few things to, I hope this is helpful for some of you. And I hope this part just encourages you about prayer. And, you know, my goal in talking about the test of spiritual growth is not to, uh, like, hit people over the head and try to make them feel bad before they leave. I just want to encourage you to keep growing as a follower of Christ. First, the issue is heart heart alignment. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Two conditions about heart heart alignment. One is to remain in a very close relationship with Jesus. Remember that he's the head of the church and we just need to come in and be submissive to his lordship. That's about our heart under his heart. And uh, when, when we find ourselves there, our heart begins to beat like his. And we care about the kingdom like he cares about the kingdom. And he begins to slide desires that are on his heart into our life. And we begin to ask for those things that are on his heart. The second part, uh, second condition is to remain focused on God's word. He says, if my words remain in you, and so there's, you know, somehow God's word has to get here, has to get in my life. And that's through uh, study, that's through uh, teaching and coming on the weekend and learning from the Word of God. And it comes from being in a small group and and being able to talk about how the Scriptures apply to our lives. One of the most important concepts, I think, is uh, 
somehow you have to decide to be disciplined about the word of God for yourself. I know that, you know, we come from different backgrounds and sometimes we're concerned about legalism and people just say, read the Bible more, read the Bible more, read the Bible more. We, we get tired of that. And yet there's a part where we just have to come out and own this and say, I need God's word. Because I love Jesus, I want to know what he thinks and what he says. And I need to get it in my life. And 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, uh, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's about training, training in God's word. And somehow you and I have to own that and say, I will do this. I need to do this on a daily basis so I can be connected to Jesus. And then we have the issue of asking God in prayer in verse 7, ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish. Sounds like wishful thinking. It's too good to be true. Can't be true. It's based on two conditions. It's based on your heart being aligned with God's heart. Remain in me, Jesus said. Remain in me. Stay close. Stay close. Bring your life under the lordship of Jesus. And my words remain in you. Somehow you have to embrace God's word and live it out so that it's in you and it's a part of you. It's not something that's not foreign to you. And then he said, ask whatever you wish. It's based, uh, this, is, this is God's problem to answer. Jesus said he would do it. You believe that? Is that like some far out pie in the sky kind of promise? He didn't say do it on your timetable. He didn't say do it tomorrow afternoon. He might. But he will do it. Is that okay with you? Because he's God. Is his timetable okay? But he wants you to ask. Let me uh, read some passages to, to remind us. Luke 18, 1 tells us what Jesus thinks of prayer. He says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. That's just what Jesus expects. Always pray, not give up. And I just want to remind us, to encourage us, because sometimes we get tired and sometimes we don't think maybe God's going to listen to my prayer. And Jesus just assumes that we're going to pray and not give up. This is from the unjust judge. And then one of my favorites is Luke 1 through 4. We know the, the story here. This is the Lord's Prayer. It's mentioned in Matthew 6, and here it's Luke 4. And what I like about this one, it comes... Uh, as a question uh, from the disciples, he says, they say, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus' disciples are asking, Lord, teach us. We, we want to know. And, uh, and so he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Matthew 6 says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I said this prayer growing up in the church I was raised. Never really got it. I memorized it and even said it when I went to bed at night. I thought, in case something happened in the night. Had nothing to do with my salvation because I didn't trust Christ until I was 25. But what's the key here? This is a model prayer of Jesus. A lot of you know that. What's first? Um, Father, hallowed be your name. What's that about? It's about God. You know, Rick Warren said, uh, talking about the purpose-driven life, I think this is really cool because Christians all over the country are embracing this. It's not about me. It's about God. That's what the Lord's Prayer is about. It's about, Father, hallowed be your name. God, it's about you being holy. That's my prayer request, God. I want your reputation to be holy, to be sanctified, to be set up so people know who God is. That's my prayer. And your kingdom comes. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about my income. It's not about 
The stuff I have, it's about God's kingdom being advanced. That's first. We're talking about heart alignment here. And he said, and, and the Matthew 6 is, thy will be done on earth. That's about obedience. And so it's bringing my life under that. Then what? Well, then, then my daily bread is okay. Give, Lord, give me what I need. Lord, forgive my sins as I forgive those around us. Lord, and lead me not into temptation. So all I'm saying is heart alignment. It's God's stuff first. And then I bring myself under him. And I ask, I say, God, and he says he will do it. But uh, sadly, we often wake up every morning and I got all these problems and all these needs and God fix this and God fix that. And I go through life with all these things I want God to fix and somehow his kingdom gets on the back burner. And so the, in receiving, Jesus said it's going to be given you. Um, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, I hope it's just an encouragement this morning to remind you. Jesus said, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Hey, don't give up on prayer. What are you praying for? I bet you're praying for family members, for health issues, for advancing the kingdom here at your church, reaching people for Christ. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep persevere God is going to answer and and the reason is is because um, the purpose of answered prayer is in verse 8 this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples you see God wants to answer prayer and he wants you to bear fruit and answered prayer is about uh, magnifying, bringing glory to Jesus. It's about amplifying who God is to the world around you. And God wants to answer your prayer. And uh, it's James who says in James 4, we have not because we ask not. Sometimes we just plain don't ask God. And there's, a prayer shows our dependence. You can say, well, God knows what I need, but he says, I want you to ask. This is about a relationship. I want you to know who's going to answer and I want you to know that I love you and that when I answer, it's because I love you. And so, uh, we're talking about tests for spiritual growth. And if you uh, read through the first 11 verses of John 15, the, verse, the, the word remain is mentioned 11 times. It's kind of important. It's about staying close. Remaining in an intimate relationship with Jesus. And as you remain close, as you stay, it's easy to walk away. It's easy to drift. It's easy to find things that will move you away. But as you stay, as you hang in there, you're going to grow spiritually. And uh, you're going to grow in prayer. And God is going to answer your prayer. And he wants you to ask. And he wants you to ask. And he wants you to ask. And he wants his name to be magnified when he answers. He wants his name to be glorified. And, you know, God is going to prune us, whether we're the most spiritually mature person in this room or even the least. And he's going to take the circumstances in our life that you and I are facing today and use them for us to grow. Let me pray. 
God, as we uh, think about the tests for spiritual growth, uh, we were reminded how important it is to align our hearts with Jesus. And Lord, I don't know what people are going through this morning, and um, there are difficult things, and, and we don't enjoy going through hard times. And yet, uh, we know that you care about us, and you want us to connect with you, and you want our hearts to move in close to be in your care. And you're going to help us through whatever we, we're dealing with, and you're going to... Um, enable us to bear fruit and um, enable us to show our world who Jesus is just by walking closely with you. And God, we have prayers that uh, we'd like to ask and sometimes we wish they could be answered today and yet we just want to keep asking and not give up. And we believe that you're going to answer. And I just thank you, God, that you have us in this process and that we just have the confidence about the future and that you're going to use our lives and you're going to um, provide for our needs and that your love is going to shine through us. For Jesus' sake, amen.